Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so we are continuing in Matthew. So let's flip to Matthew chapter 9. We're covering a good amount of verses this morning. Matthew 9. We're going to start at verse 18. The sermon is called Healing in His Wings. Matthew 9, 18. All right, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered for, from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to her, herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men, figure that out, sorry. Two blind men followed him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for your word. God, your word is living and active. So, so right now, Lord, as we read it, we ask that you would meet with us, you would speak to us. This is the sword of the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to, to convict and, and to cut away and to reveal and to expose and to do a good work in us. We, we need you, Holy Spirit. Would you, would you help me to be faithful to your word, to preach and to teach? And would you help us together, Lord, just understand, give us ears to hear. Above all, we want to see Jesus more clearly this morning. It's for you that we are here, Jesus. We gather around you. And so we ask that we would see you more clearly this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're covering a lot. We're covering almost 20 verses. And we're covering four separate, like, stories, four miracles. And um, the big idea of this morning is that Jesus is a, is a great physician, that there's, there's no one like Jesus, that no one can heal like him, that there's actually nothing outside of what he can heal. And, and so we're going we're gonna to start by just reading through some of these verses, and we're going to notice aspects of who Jesus is, of, of what he's like as our healer. And then after that, we're going to address some difficult questions. And maybe even now already in your head, you're like, healing. Okay, this is interesting. There's different perspectives. Does Jesus still, still heal? Why hasn't he healed this person? And so there's some really difficult questions and waters that we're going to wade through, and then we're going to end by seeing there's some hope for all of us in this text. And so the first thing, verse 18, we want to see something about Jesus the healer, and it's this. Jesus is interruptible as a healer. He's interruptible. Look at verse 18. It says, while he was saying these things, while he was saying these things. So imagine like a sermon's going on. A ruler came in and knelt before him. So picture this, like we're having church and a guy walks in the back and kneels down and everyone's like, what is this guy doing? And, and look what happens. 
The ushers don't say, excuse me, sir, which, you know, is normal and okay and good. It says, Jesus rose and followed him. So can you imagine being there? Like, wait, I want to hear what he was saying. And Jesus follows the guy out the door. That happened. Jesus is an interruptible healer. Listen, there is never a time when Jesus is off call, never a time when he's unavailable, better than any doctor, better than any pastor or counselor or or even your closest friend. Jesus is always available for us and he's willing to be interrupted and he's willing to go with us. That's who Jesus is as our healer. And and notice also this man's faith. Okay, he says, my daughter has just died. And then the very next thing he does is goes and finds Jesus. Like, think about that. His daughter just died and his thought, his mind goes to Jesus. And literally he gets up and he's like, I must find Jesus. His daughter just died. And he went to find Jesus. Jesus. And he, and look what he said, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Like this, this man had some faith. He had real faith that Jesus will heal my daughter. And maybe that even makes us uncomfortable, but this man had faith and he went to Jesus and Jesus rose his daughter from the dead. That's unbelievable. Jesus is this interruptible healer. And then what's ironic though, I skipped ahead because as Jesus is on the way, he gets interrupted again because he's interruptible. And, and there's the next thing about Jesus as a healer and it's this, there is no one Jesus will not heal. And there is, there is no one he's not willing to touch. He's a compassionate healer. We see in verse 20, it says, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. So even us modern Americans even if we don't, we're not that familiar with Jewish customs, we're like, that's a bummer. That's, that's not an ideal situation. She's sick. And that's true. But if you know about what it was to be a Jew in that day and what she was actually going through, it's, it's actually even more devastating. Uh, we're going to read from Leviticus 15 real quick. Shout out to Leviticus. This is what it says. And one disclaimer, when it says unclean, it, it doesn't mean sinful. It just means she's unable to approach the tabernacle. She's not in in the right spot to be able to worship. That's what it means. So it says this. If a woman, this is a little PG-13. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst." This woman was a Jew and this applied to her. And so what this means is not only is she sick, she's been essentially living in isolation for 12 years. She's been unable to enter the temple, which at that time was the only place where the presence of God was manifest. That was the place. You want to worship? You go to the temple. You want to make a sacrifice? You go to the temple. So for 12 years, she was living essentially like a leper. And Jesus was willing to have compassion on her. Listen, no one has even touched things she's touched for 12 years. And Jesus was willing to be touched. And and another aspect of Jesus, not only is he compassionate, he's superior. He's far superior to any other healer. In Luke, it says, though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. I mean, imagine being sick 2,000 years ago. Like there were doctors, Luke was a doctor, they had physicians, but their knowledge was minimal and they could only do a certain amount of things and apparently they couldn't figure this out. There, there was actually no hope for her that day and she spent her entire livelihood trying to be made clean. And uh, this is so cool. This week when I was studying this, there was, there's a tradition that developed in that day 
of, about healing. And there was this prophecy in Malachi 4.2. Look what it says. It says, For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Because it's kind of an obscure sun of righteousness, healing in its sun has wings. What does that mean? And what's interesting there is that word for wings in Hebrew is kanap, or however you say that in Hebrew. And it's the same word for the edge of a garment or for the corner or the hem. And it's actually the same word that the end of the, the prayer shawl that the Jews would wear, that rabbis would wear. It's the same word. It's the same word when David cut off Saul's, the corner of his robe, he cut off his kanap. It's the same exact word. And so this tradition developed that when the Messiah came, he would have healing in his wings, in his garments. There would be, if you could just touch his garments, there would be healing in that. And this woman had tried everything and everyone, and her last hope was people are talking about the Messiah, and maybe the Messiah has come. And if you can just get to him, and if you can just touch the end of his robes, maybe there would be healing in his wings. And she, think about this, she's not allowed to touch anyone, and Jesus is walking, and there's a throng of people, and she's like, I don't care. I'll touch anyone. I'll do anything I need to do to get to Jesus. And she gets to him and she touches his robes and she's healed. And, and when Jesus does miracles, it's, it's showing us part of his identity. And what, what that is saying is that's the Messiah. He is the one with healing in his wings. And she was healed by him. And then the next thing we see about this healer, this king, is that no, no disease, not only is he superior to other healers, There is nothing he cannot heal. There is no disease or circumstance beyond his power to heal because then he goes on to raise a girl from the dead. If ever there was a time to lose hope, it's when someone dies. I picture like ER TV shows, right? And they're doing the heart thing and then it doesn't happen and then you just see them all, okay, there's there's nothing we can do. This girl was well past that. He came after she died. The whole funeral procession is there. Jesus gets interrupted on the way like she's dead. And we see that there's nothing beyond the power of Jesus to heal. And look in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know if we have that. Maybe we do. Yes, cool. Because of Christ, this is true of us. It says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, that's us. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end and he delivers the kingdom to God. That's cool. He's just delivering the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And Jesus, he hasn't accomplished that yet. But every miracle that he's doing, it's this like pointer of like, look who I am. This is just a taste. This is just a taste of when I'm ruling and reigning. This is what it looks like. Even death can't hold me. There's nothing beyond my power and authority to reverse. And then the next thing we see about Jesus the healer, verse 27, we, we again get reiterated, he's superior to anyone and he heals two blind men and that's never been done in the history of the universe. That's the first time that we know of that two blind men were healed. Typically that was something you had from birth and it was as equivalent as leprosy. It's like your death sentence. Back in the day, there weren't jobs for you. If you couldn't see like you're a beggar, you're blind, you're hopeless, you can't be healed. That's just that. And Jesus, again, flexes his muscles and says, I can heal this. I can heal this. And, and again, just quick side note, let's notice their faith too. Like the father had faith. Look at verse 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And then what happens next? What does Jesus do? When he entered the house, aka he hears them, sees them, and walks past them walks past the blind guys, goes into a house. But they don't give up. When, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him 
And Jesus said to them, do you believe I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith. Again, we see faith is this essential component to healing when Jesus is healing. And then the last story we read, it's, it's crazy. It's, it looks like this guy has this physical ailment. He couldn't speak. But really, there's something else going on in verse 32. As they're going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. You know what the point here is of Jesus as a healer? Is that he's a supernatural healer. And this is an important point. He's a supernatural healer. That means Jesus wasn't just a good doctor. He wasn't just like, yeah, I can figure this out. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good religious teacher. He wasn't just the founder of a movement that's lasted for 2,000 years. He was supernatural, like from God, like doing things that are against science. Jesus is supernatural. That's part of who he is. These four stories cannot be explained apart from Jesus being supernatural. And, And that's countercultural in our day that goes against the worldview, prevailing worldview we live in right now, that it's, it's matter and what we can see. Jesus is clearly supernatural from God, God himself. And we just have to accept that Jesus is supernatural. Yes, he was man, but he was also God. And, and Jesus healed supernaturally. So Jesus, we see these pictures of who he is as this physician. Now, now this may have already risen, some, some questions may come up in your mind about healing and about Jesus. And uh, then the first one is this. Does Jesus still heal? Because there are many people who will say, do you know what? That was a special time in history and Jesus was validating who he was. And when the Bible finished, those signs and wonders have done away with. And that's okay. We have the word of God and we don't need those anymore. There are many who teach that. So does Jesus still heal? Thankfully, we can turn to the Bible and it tells us yes. In James chapter five, look what we're told. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. An explicit command, pray for healing. And then again, we see an example. There's many, many examples of after Jesus left, after the Holy Spirit has come down and it's the early church. And look at this story. This is an awesome story. On the first day of the week, when we were, that's Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. How about that for a sermon? There were many lamps in the upper room. So imagine midnight lamps, nighttime Many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Yes, God still heals people. He's still God. The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. The Holy Spirit isn't limited at all. The Holy Spirit is here and he heals and he's commanded us in his word, pray for healing. And and I'm sure many of us have witnessed that firsthand. So then the second question is this, okay, so God does heal. The question arises, so then why doesn't he heal everyone? Or why didn't Jesus heal and fill in the blank? Because I know for a fact, we all have someone we could put in that blank right there. Even ourselves. why didn't Jesus heal blank? And this, honestly, this is a really sensitive question and it's a complicated question and some answers only apply to certain circumstances, but the Bible has given us some information on this. Um, and I'm even gonna start with the, the hardest one to hear, but it's, it's very, very clear in the Bible. And the, f- the first reason, on it, not all reasons, but a reason why Jesus doesn't heal blank 
is uh, people don't ask and people don't believe and there's a lack of faith. Now that's not every case, but this is in the Bible. Look at James chapter four. You do not have because you do not ask. And then again, we see it in James earlier, but he must ask in faith without doubting because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We see almost every single time in the Bible when God heals, there's just radical faith. It's there. Think about the dad. He believed. Imagine if the dad was like, my daughter's dead. I'm, it's done. That's it. He had faith and it moved him to find Jesus. That woman had faith. If she didn't have faith, she wouldn't have pushed through to touch Jesus. Those blind men were, in a sense, rejected by Jesus, and they had to go find him blind and get healed by him. So, so there is a lack of faith. Um, and, and honestly, before we move on, because there are other answers, I do think, church, that we in America, in this day and age, we need to grow in faith. I, I actually have a sense that we need to be willing to ask and pray for God to heal people. And I know that many of us have been wounded and I know many of those prayers, if not all of those prayers, have not been answered the way we want. But listen, it doesn't honor Jesus not to not even ask. It doesn't honor him. It doesn't honor the father who loves to give to to just be afraid to even ask. He says, ask. He says, ask me. And and so I think we, we need to, be willing to ask God to heal. Because if, if we, don't ha- we don't have, because we do not ask. Do we, I mean, this is so hard, but do we have faith? Even, even half that of that dad, like, please heal, please heal. Um, and yet, here's the thing. Just because we believe something doesn't make God, like, he doesn't make him obligated to do it. So yes, we need to ask, and yes, we need to. But, but also, many of us, like, we've, we have asked for healing, and Jesus said no. And, we've, and we had faith, and we prayed, and we fasted, and yet God doesn't heal. And the thing is, when God doesn't heal, we know it's not always lack of faith. We know that. We have even examples of that. We, we know Paul had this thorn in his flesh, and he's like, God, please take it away. And he says, three times I prayed. And God said, my faith or my grace is sufficient for you. And he, and he says, no, and he doesn't heal him. We know Timothy had a stomach issue. And Paul was like, hey, take some wine for your stomach. I guarantee you they prayed. They were faith-filled. People, Paul rose people from the dead. And that was something where that wasn't made better. Even, I mean, if anyone had faith and things should go well for him, it was Jesus. And, and yet he still suffered on the cross. And, and I think the foundational truth we have to hold when God doesn't heal is that, that he is sovereign and that he is good. That he is sovereign and he is good. This is foundational when we ask God, please, Lord, please, I believe. And he, and he doesn't answer. We need to know that he is sovereign. Let's look at this verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The truth is, as hard as it is, God's will and our will are not going to be the same. And what we think, this would make so much sense, God. This would make so much sense if you did this. He says, my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. Like Job, you know, Job is like, why God? And do you know what? God was gracious and showed up, but he didn't tell Job why. He never answered that question. He never answered why God. He simply said, I am God. We there? The sober truth is this. There is some mystery. We won't know why God does certain things. We just won't. And I think we even need to be really careful when we say, yo, I, I think God is doing this or he didn't heal because of this or he's gonna heal because of this. Like we need to have a really humble posture. His ways are not our ways, which means even when we're looking in on other people's circumstances, like we don't know, we're not God. And there are times when he simply says, I need you to trust me and I'm not gonna answer this prayer. 
And, and listen to this verse from a man who suffered a lot and who, who died also on a cross from Peter. Look what Peter says to those who have asked and prayed and didn't receive. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffer according to God's will and trust their souls. What we see there is, for some reason, it's God's will for us to suffer. And that's crazy. But what we need to do is entrust our souls. God, I still trust you. I still trust you. You are good. You are faithful. You are faithful. And the last point on that is this. I think there's this error that we can, we can say to ourselves, or, or we can say to others is, you know what, if you only had more faith, and maybe that's true, but in the Bible, a little faith in the right place is far more significant than a lot of faith in something that's not there. Listen, the point of faith, faith is rewarded not so much in its amount, but in its object. You get what I'm saying? So like when Jesus said, you need the faith the size of a, did he say just a mountain? No, the faith of a side, size of a mustard seed. And why is that? Because it's faith in the one who is able to move mountains. It's faith in the one who is able to heal. A little faith in the right place goes infinitely farther than I believe with all my heart that this is gonna happen. If your hope is in the wrong place, that doesn't matter how much you're hoping. It doesn't matter how much you have faith in in, in whatever it may be. And here's, here's a helpful example for me. Let's say, let's say you were in ancient Israel and you were enslaved in Egypt and you're experiencing the Passover and all the plagues and you're like, this is crazy. And you, you're just freaking out and you get to the water and the army is behind you and Moses is like, it's gonna be okay, guys. And you're like, what is happening? And the, the ocean stands up and there's a wall and a path through the ocean. And it's, it was, I mean, it was a wall of water standing there. And he's like, hey, guys, we're crossing. And you're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this and just trust that at any given moment, the natural laws of nature aren't just going to make this fall and kill me. And, and you're like, you know what? I'll do it. But you do it with your eyes closed and you're like freaking out. And then your, your buddy's over there like, let's do this. I've seen what God's done. We're going. And he's just charging. And you're just like, just barely making it through. And you guys both get to the other side. Who that day got saved? Both of them. Not because one had a lot better quality, stronger faith, and one had bad faith, and that didn't do anything with. No, it was because their faith was in the right place, in the right person. When we put our faith in Jesus, it can be really tiny faith. Sorry, really tiny faith. And Jesus is able to move a mountain with a mustard-sized faith. So if you are struggling Maybe some of us identify with that dad who has brought his son who had seizures to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, if you're able, will you please help me? And Jesus calls him out. He's like, if I'm able? And he's like, okay, I know I believe, but help my unbelief. Did Jesus only heal people who were just, I have faith? No, he healed that man's son. He was like, I have unbelief in my heart. Jesus, help me. You guys, if we're just honest with Jesus, even if we're not rock solid, I know you can heal. I know you're gonna do it. We look at other people who are confident in in who God is. And we're like, I'm not that way. I've been wounded. I'm afraid to ask. If we go to Jesus with that weak faith, he's able to do infinite. He could do more than we could ever imagine, even with the weakest amount of faith. So let's not beat ourselves up when we have doubts. It's wrong, but let's not condemn ourselves. Jesus, bring it to Jesus. Jesus, help my unbelief. And, and here's the truth. So we need to grow in, in God, help us believe and help us to pray for miracles and help us to like every time with faith, pray over people physically. We need to grow in that. But then there's also the Bible has this interesting uh, perspective on miracles and, and it's, it's not always what you would think. And, and we're going to quickly look at a, so, a biblical look at, at miracles. And here's the thing. Here's the truth. Number one, many people witnessed the most insane miracles and walked away from God. Like a lot of people. Israel, three days later in 
in the wilderness, like, why God? Why are we here? I wish you didn't. Their, their hearts are just far from God. And they just watched the most amazing miracles in the history of the world. We see Samson, who had this power from God. And because he had all this power, was he just walking with the Lord? No, he was doing whatever he wanted to do. We see Gideon, who had faith. And it's this amazing story. And it's a really sad ending. I'll just put it that way. It doesn't end well. And then the crowds in Jesus' day saw with their eyes miracles and didn't follow him. Because miracles don't create faith. Miracles do not create faith. They confirm faith and they flow from faith. Listen, I think we're like, God, I, and we've all had those moments. If you will just do this, I'll follow you. If you will just do this, I'll trust you. And, and we think that if he does, it's going to change our heart. When actually the problem, the root problem, is our unbelief already. Look at what the, the, the Jews said to Jesus. This is right after. This is like in the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000. John 6.30, they say to Jesus, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? This is literally, I mean, if you look at it, they just were fed with five loaves. And then Jesus starts talking about, I'm the bread of life. And they're like, are you claiming yourself to be God? Prove it. And Jesus is like, are you kidding? I just did. I literally just did. And, and here's the thing. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. It doesn't come from seeing miracles. Look at Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's this parable of this rich man and this poor man that Jesus is telling. And the rich man goes to Hades and the, the poor man goes to, they call it Abraham's bosom, basically like heaven and hell. And the, the poor, or the rich man's suffering and he's like, can I just get a drop of water? And Jesus, or the angel talking to him is like, no, you can't leave here. And he's like, can I at least go back and tell my family that hell is real and that they need to follow God? Can you, will you at least let me go tell them? And you know what the angel says? He says, they already have the words of Moses. And if they don't believe these things, they don't believe this, they won't believe if a man comes from hell and just says, believe in God, hell is real. It's, Jesus says, even if they saw their deceased brother, they wouldn't believe. Because this, this is where faith comes from. This is where faith comes from. And, and the last thing about miracles, and they are awesome. They are wonderful. They are gifts of God. They demonstrate his power. But as incredible as a physical miracle is, they're temporary. That girl, that little girl died again. And that woman also died. Those men whose eyes were opened closed them for good. And that man shut his mouth in death. Miracles are temporary. They're amazing, but they are temporary. And I, and I know that for many of us, we do need to grow in faith in God. Help us to see miracles. But I know there's many of us who are like discouraged and hurt. And why haven't you done this? Jesus, why haven't you answered my prayers? And I, and I want you to know this. There's encouragement for you. Because every miracle in the Bible, this is such a cool thing, they point to some spiritual significance, to a greater miracle. And this is so important. Just quick proof of this. A few verses earlier in Matthew 9, Jesus was talking about himself and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he wasn't referring only to physically sick people. Jesus didn't come from heaven to just heal physically sick people and then leave. That would, that would be cool and then it would be devastating. He came to do something else. And then he goes on to say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so right there, he's connecting sickness with sin. And every miracle in the Bible has this meaning to it, this spiritual meaning. And listen to this quote from this, this commentary I read. The healing of physical suffering is only cosmetic if a sinful heart is not given into the care of the great physician. The healing of physical suffering is only cosmetic. Did you know that that dead girl lying in that bed is a perfect picture 
of every single human. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The Bible has this really bleak picture of humanity's state. We're not basically good. We're not even partially good. We're just, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. And we have this idea that when you get saved, it's like you're like, drown, you're kind of drowning and someone throws you a life raft and it's Jesus and you grab onto it and you're like, okay, I'm safe. Do you know what the problem with that picture is? Can dead people swim? Can dead people reach out and grab onto something? No, we're actually like drowned at the bottom of the ocean. Can do nothing. We can do nothing good for ourselves. And do you know what has to happen is someone else has to come down, swim, and bring us back to life. And that's what Jesus has done. He gave you his life so that you could be risen from the dead. Look at this verse in Ephesians 2, right after he says you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And then real quick, Colossians 2, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. I know many of us have, have experienced real devastating loss and death. We have. But Jesus came to not only make things physically better, but to defeat death once and for all and give you new eternal life. And do you know how he did that? He took your death upon him on the cross. He didn't just come and like heal you. Thanks, Jesus. Peace out. He came and he died on a cross. He hung and physically died. And even more intense, he spiritually suffered the wrath of God for our sin. You know why Jesus was so stressed before he went to the cross? It wasn't just physical death. Many people, you know, people die martyrs' deaths like heroes. Jesus knew he was going to suffer something far worse. He's going to suffer the punishment for our sin. And he took our spiritual death on himself for us that if we would trust in him, we would be like that dead girl who would come back to life. And here's the thing. I know, I know that we have experienced death and it's heartbreaking and we, we maybe even have bitterness or, or discouragement or why we don't trust God. And, and we, need, we need healing for those issues. But I want you to know Jesus has done something far more significant than just physically raise someone from the dead. He has done more for you than he did for that girl. He gave you his life so you could have eternal life. And that, that miracle of that woman bleeding, did you know that our sin makes us stained and unclean before God? That, that your sin, our sin is a stain that we cannot fix. We cannot heal it. It doesn't matter how much good you do. We, like that woman going to doctors, no doctor, no amount of effort can fix the stain of our sin. Look at this verse, uh, these couple verses that Jesus was talking about, what makes us unclean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. And you not, not only do we have sin in us, we've been sinned against and we carry, that, we, we carry that like wounds around. I know many of us have been sinned against and we maybe even feel unclean from that. Like I've been wounded. I'm not the same. I'm bitter. I have, I'm carrying around this brokenness. And I want you to know what Jesus has done for you is far more amazing than healing that bleeding woman. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 6. It's going to start really intense, and I want you to see how it ends. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's all of us. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Every one of us have been stained, and then when we trust in Jesus, we get washed and sanctified, set apart, and justified in the name of Jesus. You guys, we... we feel this uncleanness. Even as a Christian, we sin and it feels like a stain. And you know what? We, we forget how we get clean and we think we can clean ourselves up. I think I can clean myself up. If only I get up early enough and I read my Bible and if I do enough good things, I'm kind of just cleaning myself off. And the problem is we all know that doesn't work. We carry that sense of a stain in us. No doctor, no thing, no other human, no amount of anything we can do can clean us but the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you come to me, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know why he's just to forgive you? Because you were already punished in Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know it would be unjust for God to punish you for your sin if you've trusted in Jesus? That payment is already made. So, so stop trying to pay. It's, it, that would be unjust for you to be punished for your sin if you've trusted in Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for those of us who carry those wounds, Jesus is even able to heal those wounds. He is, and that, that sense of dirtiness. Look at Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can actually wash you and renew you. And you know what I love? That, that when Jesus healed her, the word he used for your faith has made you well, there's many words that are like, doctor healing physical words that he could have used, but he uses the same word for salvation. He says, your faith has made you well. It's the Greek word sozo, which is the word saved. Your faith has saved you. And what he's saying there is yes, physical miracle, yes and amen, but there's something better that I've just given you. And he calls her daughter. And he says, I've just saved you. Your faith has saved you. And then like those blind men, did you know every one of us were born spiritually blind? unable to see the goodness of God. If Jesus showed up in front of you, you couldn't see him spiritually. And, and I know many of us maybe even remember what it was like to read this book or think about this book before our eyes were removed. It's like, what is this? And why do I read this? And it's so confusing. And I just, I read the Sermon on the Mount and I'm like, I'm just the worst person and I hate reading this book. And then Jesus opens your eyes and all of a sudden you're like, this is the best thing I have ever seen. I see the glory of Jesus and the love of God in this book. Listen, if you struggle to love the Lord and to read this book, maybe you're still blind. And you know what? Do you know why that's good? If you, if you wrongly diagnose something, all the solutions aren't gonna work. It's not gonna help for you to be more disciplined. It's not gonna help for you to try harder. It's not gonna help for you to do more Bible studies. You may just need new eyes, You may just need God to do something in your heart and to open and remove the scales from your eyes so that this book is the best thing and that the love of God is actually better than life. Can you say with David, your love, O Lord, is better than life? And if not, it's just saying, let's rightly diagnose it. You need a new heart. Don't try. You need a new heart. And if you come to Jesus, he says, watch what I can do. And I can remove the blinders off their eyes. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, diagnosing our problem. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
hey, this is good news. If you have people in your life you're frustrated with and they need to be saved, like, that's the issue. So let's, let's address it. Let's not try and make them better people. Like, they need to see Jesus. They, they need the blinders off their eyes to be removed. They need the Lord. The, and and this, is, this is a classic Pharisee. Right? They, they knew many things. Many of you may know the Bible and know a lot of theology and even practice it rightly. That's a Pharisee. But they were spiritually blind and they could not see the glory of Jesus. And so how does this text end? It says, the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by demons. That's a perfect picture. You just watch a miracle and your mind can go just crazy because you're blinded. You're blinded. But, but look what happens when we trust in Jesus. Second. Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. In some way, if you have the veil removed, you can see the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is a spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And Jesus said of the disciples, blessed are your eyes for they see. In your ears, for they hear. Hey, if you struggle, honestly, if you struggle to love Jesus and his word, a prayer that you can pray is, open my eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see. Help me to see. Open my eyes. Even, I, we need this as a Christian every day. I wake up and it's like my eyes got foggy and this book is boring and like I just want other things. And what we can pray is, God, open my eyes, and the psalmist says that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. God, open my eyes, open my eyes. And then that last one, Satan, did you know that you were once held captive by Satan? Look at this verse. It's the same verse, 2 Corinthians. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Every person who is not a Christian is blinded and enslaved in some sense to do the will of Satan, you're actually held captive and blinded. And yet, as we see in the story, is that like a threat to Jesus? Is he intimidated by Satan? Is he like, I gotta go to battle? You just, it actually says in passing when the demon was cast out. You, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Satan is as nothing to Jesus. He's on a leash. He can do nothing. Jesus does not let him. And, and look at this, little children, if you are, fr- you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Satan is no problem for Jesus. He is no problem for Jesus. And so we need to pray for physical healing. We need faith and, and Jesus is able, and he tells us to do that. And, but we also need to recognize we have a seri- more serious issue going on. We have a serious sickness. The world is sick in a deeper way than just the physical things that we see. And we're going to close with this verse, this picture of healing that comes from Jesus in Isaiah 53. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Be encouraged this morning. Jesus has done far more for you than he did for any of these people in this story. He has risen you from the dead spiritually. He has taken away your sin and your stain and your guilt. He has opened your eyes to behold the glory of God. He's freed you from the captivity of Satan and then opened your mouth like this mute man so you can praise Jesus. And and here's a quick quote to end with. I know some of us maybe can still feel confused. I know this is true, but right now it feels, it feels like God isn't good. It feels like God isn't good. Listen to this quote about what the cross reminds us about God being good. It says this, the theology of the cross draws our attention to the sheer unreliability of experience 
as a guide to the presence and activity of God. God is active and present in this world quite independently of, we, of whether we are experience him as being so. This is it. Because we can't experience God, but there are times when it's like, God, where are you? Experience declared that God was absent from Calvary only to have its verdict humiliatingly overturned on the third day. If your experience is God isn't good, and if your experience is God, why haven't you done what I've asked you to do? Know this, there's more going on, and there's more that has been done. And Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and Satan and death once and for all for you. And so now let's, Let's press in in faith and pursue that healer. Let's, let's do our part. Let's not, as wounded as we are, let's, let's not sit on the side of the road as he passes us by. Let's have faith. Let's cry out to him for physical healing, for emotional, bitter, whatever healing we need, for spiritual healing. If this is all new for you, cry out to Jesus. You will be saved like this woman. Let's not let him pass us by. Let's grab a hold. My prayer is that as we've heard the word of God, that the spirit is like birthing faith in us. And right now it's, it's our duty to praise him, to fear him, to press into him. Like that, that prophecy, Malachi 4 to you, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Right now, God is present with us. He actually is present with us. And it's like his wings, his spirit, are here, and it says like a, a hen brooding over her nest. Like just picture the wings of God over this room. And we, as we experience his presence and press in with faith, can be healed right now. We can be healed. We're going to have communion up here to remember Jesus broken and bled for your sin. We're going to have a prayer team. Come and get prayer. Come and ask to be anointed with oil and get healed. We, you guys are the body of Christ. You can pray for one another. You can heal one another. The spirit of God is in you who raised Jesus from the dead. And then let's praise him and fix our eyes on Jesus, the great physician, the one who has healing in his wings. Amen? Yes, Lord, would, would you right now help us, help our unbelief. Help us to seek you, God. Help us, like those blind men, to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, all of us need healing. If we just feel rejected and like an outcast and dirty, Lord, would we remember that woman? Just your garment made her well. Lord, if, Lord, if, if you, if we're feeling blind, if, if even right now, Jesus, if we're feeling unable to see, unable to believe, would we cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us? Lord, if, if there are any here who... Um, are still dead spiritually, would you graciously rescue them and bring them back to life? God, if there are those in here who've been wounded by the fact of you saying no to their prayer, would, would they trust with Paul that your grace is sufficient? And would they not lose hope? And would they not lose faith? And would they continue to press on? Like that widow, like I'm gonna keep asking. And would you heal us together this morning? Lord, rid us of this self-reliance, feeling like we need to be macho, feeling like we need to have it all together, feeling like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for this many years. I don't have any issues. Or would we be like that, that humble father who knelt before you? Help us to see how much we need you. And would you humble us? And would we kneel before you even in our hearts and open our eyes to behold your glory right now? It's in Jesus' name.